0: Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention-grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today.
1: Now here we go. So always learning, but more importantly, teaching others what you learn, because if you're the only one who knows, then you're the only one who can do. Being willing to hold your management team accountable, expand your knowledge, but do something with it. That's ultimately the summary is what the Restaurant Prosperity Formula is. It's gaining freedom from your business and the financial freedom you deserve, but understand that you are your solution. Welcome to Full Comp, a show
0: offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. I'm starting a new case study group this month and I'm looking for a few specific people. So if you're a restaurant owner or operator that's currently doing $50,000 per month in sales, have the desire and the bandwidth to increase your sales by 10 to 20% and have two to three hours per week to work on these strategies, I would love to help you scale up by Christmas. Go to restaurantcasestudy.com and sign up to learn more. Again, that's restaurantcasestudy.com. It's all your fault. You hear those words every single day internally. I think we all do. We run at such a quick pace that there's rarely time to celebrate the wins as we run from problem to problem. But there's good news on the other side of that coin. David Scott Peters believes that in owning our role as owners and operators, we can become the solution to every problem we face. And today he lays out a clear path to delegate, manage, and create accountability within our teams.
1: So I grew up in my family's restaurant and catering business back in Linwood, New Jersey, where I worked for the toughest manager I know. If you ever worked for your mom, you know it sucks. She rode my sister and I twice as hard as anybody else, said there'd be no favoritism. And while my sister and I really didn't like it, in fact, I hated it, my mom did me a favor. She gave me a work ethic like nobody else around me. So I've always elevated in my career because I have a work ethic. It truly is a tribute to my mother. I went to college and then through the years found myself back in food and beverage and ultimately at one point in time I found myself bartending and moving my way back into management because I was doing some consulting and franchising at a company called Coyote Springs Brewing Company and Cafe in the early 90s when brew pubs were opening one a week and I got the bug like just brew pubs were magic back then. We opened our second location. It was like owning a boat, a hole in water in which you throw money. And by that time, I moved my way into operations manager and finding things going wrong and truly trying to figure out how to make it work. And so the bug was there. I learned the importance of cash flow, the importance of systems, of management, imposing your will. I later took those skill sets and went to work for a company called Famous Sam's, a 30-unit restaurant sports bar chain as a franchisor, becoming the director of operations, opening eight stores. Guys wanted to take the company public and go big in under a year they damn near bankrupted the company and about a year plus i decided to move on and i start consulting and teaching at Scottsdale Culinary Institute management human resources wines and spirits so josh i'm not a culinary guy i have zero knife skills i don't belong in a kitchen but I learned that I can run any kitchen with the right systems in place. I can order on budgets and par levels. I can prep systems. I can schedule based off staffing guides and budgets. I can open and close every station based on opening, closing side work checklist. I can manage the kitchen. I just can't teach somebody how to cook. And that's really was a wake up call on how important these systems are. Well, As I'm doing this, the minority shareholders of the Famous Sam's asked me to come back. They were now the majority shareholders. And I'm like, no, no, no. It was about one month before my first child was born. I went, okay. And I walked into a disaster, a company that should have been bankrupt, done. And the owner said, you need to turn around and sell it in five years. I missed that goal in three months. I know what it is to be an independent operator. I know what makes a chain successful. And I found that my calling was to teach independent restaurants the same systems and tools that chains use without losing their independence. Love our guests, love our employees, but do what they do well, and that's that's make money. That led me into my last company, where as a restaurant training coaching company starting in 2003, it was going gangbusters, seminars, workshops, training products, but it eventually turned into a software company because I had members saying, I'm tired of putting the same number into five different spreadsheets. I'm tired of management manipulating the numbers by accident or purpose. I don't know, I'm looking at good data but really came down to recipe costing cards. By the time I get them fricking finished, 100 man hours of work, they're wrong the next day because another delivery showed up. Forced my hand into software, changed the company direction. My business partner wanted to take it really that direction where I'm a restaurant coach, a trainer at heart. So he bought me out in uh, basically May of 2019. And for the last two years, I've gone back to my core coaching independents, them and their implementers. And I will tell you the major change for me over the years after publishing my book, restaurant prosperity formula, what successful restaurant tours do, which followed my most successful members. If I can get you restaurant prosperity, which is freedom for your restaurant and the financial freedom you deserve. If I focus on you as an individual, that you have a growth mindset, that you're looking always to become better. There's no challenges to stop you dead versus a fixed mindset. Then I'm making you money because you have managers in place and so on. So it's, while the systems are still a part of everything I teach, the numbers are everything I teach, my focus is now more on you. Getting you a life means your business is rocking and rolling. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Let's unpack that a bit because I would assume that most people find you or your website because they're struggling financially, they lack balance, like they've got all of these universal issues that so many independent restaurateurs have. And you lead with, we really need to focus on your mindset. And I can imagine that there's a lot of whiplash there, right? Because there are these very real problems in front of them. And you're talking about something that typically isn't on anyone's radar.
1: But it is and it isn't. So for instance, I would tell you that the majority of restaurants out there should be working with me. I know I can change their lives, make them more money, simplify, allow them to impose their will, all those things. But the majority of people in the restaurant business are in the blame game, their fixed mindset, government, those sons of bitches, it's $300 extra to keep people on their ass. Oh, it's the employees, they're the millennials and younger and oh my gosh, they ghost and this, and that, and the other. Oh, my purveyors are screwing me and the 10 cents more a pound in cheese. They, they never look internally and go, this is my fault. I'm the solution. So the people who are attracted to me already know that they're the solution to all their problems. They just don't know what they don't know or are looking for the push. For instance, I was a scholarship athlete from high school to college. I was a rower, D1 rower, sat on my ass, went backwards on the muddy Charles. At that time, I was 215 pounds, 9% body fat. I had lats like this, legs that were tree trunks. Well, I'm 55 now. And I just rediscovered rowing through getting a device called an oar board, which is a stand up paddleboard with a sculling unit on top. And it led me to joining the Rio Salada Rowing Club. I'm back with a coach, rowing with other people and so on. And I'm finding my weight come back down, my cardio's back up. Shit, I've known what to do. I was a D1 rower. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but sometimes I need somebody to go, go do this, and I got no choice. And so restaurant owners are no different. If we know what to do, we often find excuses of why not. But a lot, we just don't know what we don't know. And so getting a coach, Having other restaurant owners with the same challenges share, it's like magic. If you have a growth mindset, you just take off. But that's the key. So kind of a long answer to your question. If you've got a fixed mindset, we're never going to work together. I'll drive you nuts.
0: (laughs) As you were talking, I was thinking about this quote from Derek Sivers who says, if information was enough, if knowledge was enough, we'd all be billionaires with six packs.
1: So wouldn't a librarian be billionaire? They have access to all the knowledge. It's all right there at their fingertips, but reading it and knowing it is very different than a phrase my father taught me. He said, ideas are cheap. It's the people who put them into action that are priceless. Ideas are cheap. It's the people who put them into action that are priceless. Well shit, there's all these ideas. You could podcast yourself to death, YouTube channel. You could go to seminars and workshops and gather information. A lot of people are information gatherers. You do nothing with it, who cares? Make a good decision, make a bad decision. Just make a decision and do something and your life will change. Your business will change. And that's really the magic is putting it into place. And that's not always easy. Well,
0: that's a central theme throughout most of the content that you've put out, whether it's your book or your blog post or your podcast, accountability, 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 it comes up throughout. And so I guess to ask you a really targeted question, what do you think restaurant owners and operators are not holding themselves accountable for?
1: So there's two levels of accountability. There's yourself and there's the employees. For the self, it is truly trusting your gut and creating a plan. So I always talk about the two most important systems any restaurant should have are budgets and recipe costing cards. Just with your 20 plus experiences and working from, from all different operators, what are the two things most restaurants never have? Budgets and recipe cost cards. Why? They're so hard. Boo, freaking who? You're in the toughest business I know. How do you know what profitability looks like if you don't have your plan for success, your proactive plan for success? Are we gonna use national averages? Are we gonna run a 34% food cost, 33% labor cost, national averages? Now, all of a sudden, I'm in a position I don't make money. So by having the budget, number one, having the wherewithal to say, I'm gonna create my financial plan for success, what systems I'm gonna put in place, by when, and the expected results, my plan. Then it's teaching and training others, giving them the skills to be successful with those systems, and then holding your managers accountable to those systems. That's how you execute your plan. That's how you get to success. And then with that, which we measure improves. That budget, we take our PL, put it side by side, and we say, oh, I should have made $14,000 this month, but... The excuses from chef, I lost $3,000 there. Excuses from my GM, we lost $3,000 in labor. And all of a sudden I only made seven.
0: But let's really dig into that because I read a ton of stuff that you wrote on budgets and I've created budgets. But I guess my question is, what happens when shit goes sideways? Great example, like your dishwasher doesn't show up on a Saturday night. So now you've got your current dishwasher working a double, right? Or like the cartels cause a spike in the price of lines.
1: That's literally happened to me. So, yes, the bottom line is this. It, literally where I was going, believe it or not, that which we measure improves. And you don't ever hit your budget. So let's take this $7,000, the limes issue, which was, was it, three years ago. Like, we stopped serving limes. They were just unbelievably expensive.
0: I still have nightmares about spending over $100 on a case of
1: limes. 100%. So here's the deal. I have my budget. I see where I hit or missed. Now, I change the plan. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Josh, you're not going to hit your budget. Nobody's ever going to crystal ball their ass so clearly that, frick, I hit every one of my numbers. But we change and reevaluate the plan. So if I've got the right systems in place, let's take the limes example. Well, now this cost of this single ingredient has gone 300, 400%. God, that sounds like right now, Josh, we've got since January, chicken wings are up 100%, briskets up 300%, just the name two out of the myriad of products, even if I could get the product today right? So the fact of the matter is now I've got actual up-to-date, accurate recipe costing cards. I've got my menu mix from this POS system. Instead of being an expensive cash register, I've got data. I can pull that together and find out what my food cost should be based on what my customers actually purchase with no waste, no theft, no spoilage, perfect restaurant, which does not exist. My theoretical food cost. by the way, typical restaurants set runs seven to nine points above ideal rock stars, two points above. Okay. So now I look at the impact of what those limes have. What if I raise the price on my top one or two items in multiple sections of my menu because I sell so many of them. By the way, Josh, none of those have limes in them. I'm not going to knee-jerk reaction on anything that has a lime. If the money I can bring in from these top sellers, because if they're that good of a seller, people love them that much, they're that good at any price, I can easily increase those by a quarter, 50 cents, whatever it may be, and overcome the line problem. So by having the right systems of price, the right data, and this means you as an owner have to change your role instead of being the best server, busser, food runner, bartender at the same time, heck line cook, your role is to work on budgets. Your job is to work on marketing, to lead the team, develop your managers, hold them accountable. That's what you're supposed to do. And so when you change your role, we start to look at, all these things that get happen in the business are tasks. They're no longer important for you to do. Your job is to interpret the numbers and lead the business forward. That's when change happens. When you can say all the shit that happens, those are tasks. And I can train people to do tasks. Now I can be the leader the restaurant needs. Does that make sense?
0: It does, but let's stick high level for a minute and let's talk about our
1: teams. What should we be holding our teams accountable for? So your expectations. So I always say that when I talk about systems, there's first step is restaurant 101, hot food, hot, cold, food, cold, clean, safe worker environment for guest employees. Wow. Customer service, incredible product, creating memories. We have created great guest experience. Well, number one, that's what you hold them accountable. You got to have training. you got to have expectations. And a part of that restaurant 101 is the next step is checklists and cash controls. I need to know what every penny makes it to the bank. No rounding up, rounding down bullshit. Because if you're doing that, you're telling people steal. You make so much money. You don't care about the penny. But checklists are the foundation to all of your systems. They're the foundation of your training. They're the foundation of all of your cost controls. It allows you to impose your will without being there. And so all of a sudden, if I hold you accountable to a checklist from cleanliness to time temp checklist to anything in your business, I've started a training program what the expectations are, to what level, by when. I've created accountability because I can see you either did your job or you didn't. And all of a sudden, I know that if I can hold you accountable to a checklist, then maybe you'll wake up on a Sunday morning going, I can't wait to count shit today. Accurately, on time, put it in the software accurately, make sure it's there versus, yeah, I counted stuff, I put it in. Dude, your food cost is 42%. It shows you had $32,000 in shredded cheese. Oh, I counted ounces, it was a case price. I did inventory versus making sure everything is accurate. So if I get you to pay attention to the details, a checklist, and make sure every penny makes it to the bank, now I've created a culture where accountability is not a negative. I train you what your job is, how to do it, how well it should be done, more importantly by when. I make sure you can demonstrate you can do that back with me. Now accountability becomes my word of answerability because you know the obligation of your job. You make a decision, do your job or not, because you've been trained exactly all the way to the how well and by when. And then you're answerable for the resulting consequences. You did it or you didn't. And that starts with the checklist level. That's the foundation to everything. Does that make sense?
0: It does. But I think there are a lot of people listening that say, hey, man, sounds good. I'm going to implement that shit in 24 months when the labor crisis is done. Right now, I've got people working. 50 to 60 hours a week. I can't make them more responsible for anything than they already are. Would you argue that now is the best time to do this or the
1: worst? There's no time like the present. I don't give a rat's ass about this in the sense of COVID was a major crisis. Worse than the COVID crisis is the labor shortage right now. It's worse on operators. Because All the business is coming back. Everybody's a Karen, not to insult anybody with the name Karen, but we all understand what that means. They're not forgiving. They're not nice. They're making our employees cry for Christ's sake. It's not good. And we're burning people out. And so it's pretty big. So you're back to working in your business versus on it. But if you don't focus on making the change, then we'll be talking about this later because there will be another crisis. In the restaurant world, name a time there wasn't something, from mad cow disease to labor shortage to the economy taking a crap to, like there's always something. So do you wanna excuse it away or do you wanna be the leader your restaurant needs and say, with a growth mindset, we're going to make this happen. Maybe it's slower than I'd like, but I'm gonna start with this. That's that ideas are cheap, right? Put something into action. And the most amazing thing is you start to gain momentum. You start to gain time. Once you start to gain time, you can start working on your business again strategically versus bussing tables and serving a section. I have owners and managers right now, even operations people I know right now that are literally working server sections because it's the only way they can remain open. I get it. But it doesn't mean all this other stuff doesn't have to happen. You still have to be a leader and you still have to do this stuff. So no excuses, get it done.
0: Are there any universal truths in your experience? Most clients come to you with the same problems. And if so, what are those problems outside of the need for budgets and recipe cards?
1: If I tell you the major problems, the major problems are my food costs is out of control. My employees are bleeding me at the time clock. My managers are idiots and I can't get anybody to do what I need them to do. That's it. It's food costs. It's labor costs. It is literally holding people accountable having the managers do their job. And what's crazy is it's 100% avoidable to be those problems. The challenge is implementing the systems is not an overnight experience. It's a sprint. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So when I sit there and I lay out a program, let's say, hey, we're gonna get the foundational systems in place. We're gonna talk about a six-month journey. If you wanna get every system in place, you're probably talking three years You might fast track it with software, get a year and a half, two years into it. But what you've got to realize is the task part are easy. Key item tracker, prevent theft. Clipboard system, easy. Waste tracker, clipboard system, easy. Restaurant checkbook guardian, giving up ordering without giving up your checkbook. Just a spreadsheet, a budgeting system, easy. Getting people to use them every day, making them part of your daily culture, that's hard. So you can implement systems like that. Holding people accountable, getting it to that it's, something they're used to doing every single day. That's the challenge. It's people, it's company culture. In fact, I would tell you that if we were to go backwards and talk again about the labor shortage, we did it to ourselves as an industry. We paid lower. We started taking flexibility away. We treated people like shit. And so when COVID hit and we let them go out of the industry for temporary, they found jobs that paid better. There was a Friday is really Friday. You're shitting me right? They found that they could have time off and do all these things and they don't want to come back. And then the people that stuck it out worked really, really hard. Now with the labor shortage, we're burning them out. In my lifetime, I've never seen routinely servers working more than 40 hours in a week. Hell, servers want to work 20 hours and make the same amount of money. I mean, I can show up, not do side work, work the busy time and leave no side work. I do it all day long. So now we got to realize being a server is hard. Like it's physically hard mentally hard, and you get into 40 hours, holy crap, that's tough on the body. And then we have cooks who love overtime, try and bleed time and want overtime. Now they're scheduled 20 hours every week, solid, for 30 weeks in a row, and they're burnt out. They're like, we don't wanna be here. And so we as an industry are going through a major change. We have to realize we have to become employers of choice, positive work environments, flexible schedules, better pay, good management on every shift, treating people the same, Like, all of a sudden, we're changing our cultures. That's what it's going to be, becoming an employer of choice. For instance, how do you know if you're an employer of choice, David? Well, if I'm in your restaurant and I go, I talk to your server or your cashier and go, you like working here? And the first words out of their mouth is, these sons of, I can't wait till I get another job. Like, they pour it out at the table. Versus you like working here, oh my gosh, I've been here for two months. It's the first time I've really felt like a family. Oh, I've been here 10 years. These people are awesome and they take care of us. That's when your labor crisis is no longer a crisis because people come, they get trained, they are managed fairly, consistently, and they stay. Your labor cost drops, your food cost drops, sales go up, that's becoming an employer of choice. And that takes six months to a year because you're back to this other thing, the common thread, changing culture not quick, not easy.
0: Well, so let's get super actionable there. And let me ask you to become that employer of choice. What are a few things that the people listening could implement
1: that would inspire people to join the fold? So I'm going to actually go to psych 101, which is Herzberg's motivation hygiene theory. If you get nuts, go look it up. I'm not going to go through all five things. What Herzberg said is there's motivation factors, and there's maintenance factors. Maintenance factors are like making sure that you're consistent, it's safe, it's blah, blah, blah. Then there's motivation factors, whether it's fair pay, good supervision, opportunity for growth, that kind of stuff. What he says is if you don't have the maintenance things in place, they're demotivators. So boom, get them done, make sure the place is clean, safe, so on and so forth. Then the motivating factors, having more of them doesn't motivate people more. So if fair pay is a motivator, paying $5 more than everybody else, it's not going to motivate any more. So just understand, we check them off and they're in present. We're good. So we're going to start to go into number one. I believe that our wages are going up. We thought $15 minimum wage was something as an industry. We're going to fight the government for started on the West coast, went to the East coast and it's coming in $15 minimum wage is coming. I've been talking about it for years. It's here. Even in States, that don't have a $15 minimum wage mandated because now we're like, oh, I gotta be competitive, we're seeing our wages go up. And if you were a $15 minimum wage place, you got people at $18, $20 now, right? Because we're trying to fight for those employees. Next, you need a manager on every shift, plain clothes, whether that's an MIT, manager in training, line supervisor, don't care what we call them, or a salary GM, there needs to be somebody Making sure the process is working. My joke is always, hey, why do I have managers? To ensure the process is working. Not to babysit the idiots, but to make sure that the checklists are being used, that the guest is getting the best experience, that the walk-ins maintained and clean and dot, dot, dot. There needs to be a grown-up on every shift. Supervision on every shift actually saves you money, makes you money. But we often don't do it because we think we can't afford it. Can't afford not to. Next, training. Training, training, training is not follow that guy who's quitting. It's having a system, making sure that they learn everything, the how well and by when, and that they're certified and can do those things on their own. So if you just focus on training, supervision, and pay, you will start to create the opportunity for advancement. You will start to create the positive work environment. Like those are the foundational things that you can work on today. The challenge is we go back to the budget. How do you pay for the high wage? How do you pay for the manager? And that may mean we go down the concept of prime costs. You may have to lower your food costs, simplify your menu to make up the money you need for labor. That's why planning is so important.
0: Let's talk about delegation. You talk a lot about freedom, and I believe that the only path to freedom is through delegation or death, right? <laughs> so positive, the, oh, so know, positive, especially in this industry. And it's always been a struggle, but I think when it comes to restaurant operations, the reason that it's so difficult to delegate is because what we do feels like more of an art than it is a science. The things that I do on a daily basis, they're colored by dozens of variables. And so my question is, when owners and restaurant operators look at delegation or look at beginning that process, what does it look like and what is a way to dip your toe in the water? What are the things we should start delegating first?
1: So that's a big question. So as you know, I can't answer a question simply. <laughs> so there's so two big topics. Let's start with what do you delegate first? Because delegation is a much different topic when you do it right. So let's start, I start delegating the tasks updating the DSR on a nightly basis, doing the invoice log, taking pictures, uploading it into my software, scheduling, making sure that the checklists are, are being maintained and being followed, anything, counting out a bar drawer, tasks, ordering spoons, ordering light bulbs. Somebody was assigned, you're responsible, here's the process, the how well, by when, tasks. We as restaurant operators, especially long timers like you and me, we learned early on a fallacy. The harder I work, the more hours I put in, the more valuable I am. That's wrong. The more I get out of my people, the better the culture, the better the sales, the better the restaurant. I don't have to be here 24 seven to make that happen. And in fact, if it's dependent on me being a superhero, you want it done right, gotta do it yourself. Well, now you're in trouble. Now you're a prisoner to the business and quite honestly, you can't do everything that well. You'll be stretched too thin. So now delegation becomes important. But doing it right. Now, this is the caveat. This is the long one. We think I showed you how to do it. Got it? Yep. Oh, you failed me again. Some bitch. I asked my chef to give me recipe cost cards. Saw this guy, David Scott Peters. I was on YouTube. He talked about the importance of recipe cards. I got so excited about recipe cards. Said, hey, we need recipe cards. Want them done by the end of the month. Chef says yes. Get to the end of the month. What do you got? Nothing. I get pissed off. I blow up. I yell. But you know what? Chef still has his or her job. Chef has done this dance with you all day long. Man, what have you learned now? What are you excited about? I don't have to do it. You just might yell at me, but it ain't going to happen. Now we sit there and say, hey, I want to delegate. There's really five steps to delegation. First is, what do you want done? Well, I want recipe cards. Well, that's not really it. We're going to start off with say, hey, Chef, I need recipe costing cards done. Can I have them done by the end of the month? The very first question you need to ask is, is that reasonable? I don't know about you, Josh. When managers do not feel it's reasonable, they'll fail the launch. Won't even start. I'm going to fail. So, why even start? You're just going to yell at me. So, I'm not even going to do it. Is that, well, chef goes, I'm really glad you asked. We're short two cooks. We've got the busiest catering month of the year. No, I, I can't get that done in a month. Well, my job as the owner is to push, get more done. What do you need? What do you think's reasonable? Chef goes, three months, right? Going to buy as much time as possible. Chef, look, I understand where you are. What if you document everything and I have the front of house managers put it into the software? You don't have to do any software time. Just write it down. Can we have them done by, in two months? Well, shit, you're going to have other people just put that into the damn software so I can just write it down? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Now we have a mutually agreed upon goal. Now we have to say what success looks like. What, when done, what should, hey, chef, let me be clear. When I say recipe costing cards, it means I need every product into the software made usable. And then I need all our batch recipes, components for dishes, soups, side dishes, sauces, dressings, desserts, They need to be done first because those are going to be ingredients like the other products we buy from Cisco, U.S. Foods, and so on. Then I want you to document all the recipes, but don't sit at table 22 and go, six ounce uh, chicken breast, five ounces of French fries. Because, you know, we've had Lurch work on our team for the last three years, and Lurch goes like this with the French fries, and there's really eight ounces going out on every plate. Document what we're really doing. Then put it in the system, and then we can make changes. When you're done, you will have created recipe costing cards laminated in a book. You'll have training cards for the front of house. We use Vidal onions, which are exceptionally sweet, come from one crop a year, and what allergies are and so on. And you're gonna have build charts, recipe cards, that not just costing, but step one, two, three, four, five. You'll have three books. Now I just told you, it's not just do recipe cards. We're clear what success looks like. The next piece is we have to build milestones in. We usually give it away, walk away. Now we go, chef, this is our deadline. Is it reasonable to have five done by this Friday? Then you pick the next, the next, the next, the next. Yeah, that's reasonable. Super. Now, the next step is we follow up. And this is, I say we're all from the state of Missouri because if you look on the license plate, it's the show me state. So now I've got this milestone. Let's call it Friday, five recipe cards. Chef, how's recipe cards coming? First thing, Josh, is this. Doing great, man. You go great. And you get to Friday. What do you get on Friday? Nothing. Chef, how are those recipe cards going? Great, man. You say, great. Show me. There's no freaking conflict. Show me. Now I can learn. Oh, short another cook. I really didn't get this done. Can we move the deadline? Sure. Maybe I learned you did a great job. Fantastic. You're moving great. You showed me. Maybe I learned you're doing them wrong. Wouldn't it be good to know you're doing a recipe card three, five in versus 300 later. And you spent two months working on recipe cards and they're freaking wrong. So I get to keep you on pace. I get to train. There's no conflict. I'm always coaching you to make it. No, by the way, I did that on Wednesday. So Friday, you make your deadline. Then it's recognition and reward. Whether it's a bonus, it's a pat on the back. It's an honest to goodness. Thank you. Don't care what it is. Acknowledge they did a great job so they can be motivated to do it again, whether it's financial or just a, a handshake and a thank you. You follow those five steps to delegation. You will get shit done because what I will tell you, is within three weeks of any project. You'll find out if they're going to do it or not. And then we reach something called don't know versus don't care. Don't know's my fault. I got to keep training you, learn how you learn, auditorial, tactile, visual, support you, coach you, coddle, train, millennial you to death. If you don't care, there's the freaking door. I don't need to invest any time into you. But instead, delegation in the restaurant world is I told you to do it, why didn't you do it?
0: Well, you talk about it in the book and in a, a blog article that I wrote and it really resonated with me, which is this process of over trusting, right? Feeling that sense of betrayal and then pulling all of the responsibility back onto yourself, which is why I wanted to have the conversation because, I mean, that was certainly the nature of my career for more than a decade. And I think one of the big lessons that you share when it comes to delegation is that you're not giving up responsibility for the task being done. You're just adjusting your role within getting that task done,
1: right? It's a cliche. Inspect what you expect is real. The task of a recipe card is a task. It is step one, two, three, four, five. The magic you as the leader is menu engineering. What do I do with the data? Finding ideal versus actual product usage and reducing my waste and taking the nine points above ideal food costs and bringing it down to two. That's the magic is the data. And that's where your power and value is not doing the tasks. But you also can't, like I have a member just started with me in my new company, worked with me when I had a four-day se- workshop, he went to some two-day workshops, he has worked in my old software in my old company for a limited time period. Somebody was such a good effing operator, catering business, food truck, restaurant, millions upon millions of dollars in sales, and in the last eight years, probably never had to work a day in the restaurant other than three days a week checking on some stuff. But he just rejoined with me because he discovered because of COVID and another personal business that he had to, that inherited, he and his wife inherited, he discovered in that business, there was a bunch of stuff that wasn't happening. So he started looking at his own business again. Holy shit, my training's not being done. Oh, they're not using that system anymore. They're not using this system. And he had to come back to the basics because he took his eye off the ball so bad that he trusted so much that he took his eye off the ball, things went away. And what he's realizing is he's got to get back to the trust and verify. Yeah, you're going to do these things. I'm not, but I'm going to make sure you did them because that's the only way they stay in place. And that's changing your role.
0: This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer?
1: Yeah, I'm going to tell you, it's going to go back to what I mentioned in the beginning. Your challenges are not unique to you. Those challenges are created by you, not the government, not COVID, those magnified problems you already had in your business. Any of the labor shortage magnifies a problem you already had in your business. What I wanna let you know is you are your solution. By taking the time to learn, becoming the leader your restaurant needs, not allowing two, three employees to hold you back and say, oh, we're different, it's hard. It's putting systems in place to allow you to impose your will, your system, your process, your way, your way. Learning realizing you don't know what you don't know so always learning but more importantly teaching others what you learn because if you're the only one who knows then you're the only one who can do being willing to hold your management team accountable to those systems if you don't then who cares if you have systems and training but ultimately hey listen to this podcast listen to other podcasts go to shows expand your knowledge but do something with it take action That's ultimately the summary is what the Restaurant Prosperity Formula is. It's gaining freedom from your business and the financial freedom you deserve. But understand that you are your solution. You're your problem. And then when you can look internally and say, it's my fault, but I can fix it, that's when the magic happens.
0: That's David Scott Peters. You can pick up his book, The Restaurant Prosperity Formula, wherever books are sold. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.